Pharma Ventures, the deal experts. Welcome to the Pharma Ventures podcast, where we talk to the experts about all things deal related in healthcare and beyond. I'm joined by Fintan Walton, founder and chief executive of Pharma Ventures. We're going to talk about our experiences in deal making over the decades, things to avoid, key learnings, and how to be successful. Welcome, Finton. So you and I have been in this industry for for decades now, and we've seen a lot of deals. We've seen uh, a lot of companies that want to get deals in the pharma, biotech, medtech space. And during that period, we've seen a lot of people do a lot of good stuff. We've also seen a lot of people make errors and mistakes or not acknowledge things that maybe they they should. Um, so I thought it'd be useful for you and I just to sit together and, and talk about some of these. So other people, we don't keep hearing the same again, and people come to us um, having thought about a lot of these things. They may not have the solutions, of course, but that's fine. That's okay. We can help. So what's the biggest thing people come to you think they really should have thought about that? You can do the killer experiment, but can you do the killer analysis that says, this is actually a commercially viable product. The money tends to pour into uh, CROs and, 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 get, and spending money doing the clinical analysis and getting the clinical results. But the piece that's missing is the, the commercial analysis that's necessary to really make sure that you are on the right clinical pathway, number one. In other words, you've got a, a more certain target product profile and a, and a pathway Yes, it will be clinical, it will be scientific, it will have to satisfy the regulatory authorities, but is it really going to be a, a de-risk from a commercial point of view? And until you've done that analysis as well, you can never be certain that the clinical analysis that you're about to take on is the correct one. Is there, a, a, and I think this is true, um, because I've heard it. <laughs> um, I've heard people say it, I don't think it is true, actually. They, they, they say yeah, but the, the commercial guys—that's the farmers, isn't it? They're you know they're they're the guys that are actually going to sell the drug at the end of the day. So it's quite natural that these 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 guys are going to have less of a focus on the commercial endpoints because all they've got to do—and I'm I'm kind of trying to be as though I were a biotech—is convince the farmer that the science is that good, it's going to trump everything else, and therefore it, it's bound to be worth doing a deal on it because because it'll succeed and it'll be better for patients and you'll be able to get a great price, won't you? Adrian, you bring up a very important point because my concern is more sort of general. It includes pharma. If you've got a product that's going to be about to be launched and so forth, the commercial guys at pharma will get, you know, totally involved. But a lot of the deals that we deal with and the, the industry in general tends to be around pre, preclinical phase one, phase two. You get to phase three, of course, you're going to get start looking at things in a more commercial way. And the pharma companies are set up to do that. So I would say that even pharma companies are not taking into consideration the commercial context. And pharma companies need, need to do that analysis just as much as the biotech companies need to. Because all we're, what we're really doing here is to make sure that we can successfully get drugs to market. And actually, there's a, I think there's a better engagement between a biotech company and a pharma in a licensing deal, in a partnership deal, when that conversation takes place, even when we look at license arrangements, mm. licensing deals, it's, it's all to do with the clinical development program. You know, it's, it's like a closed shop. You know, you look, you look at the, the joint committees, they're usually scientific and clinical. They don't take in the commercial context as much. Now, I, I, you know, to be, to be fair, of course, you know, I'm not saying that 
that pharma and, 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 and the biotech players are not commercially aware. But it's the commercial detail, the killer. We go talk about, again, going back to this thing, the killer experiment. It's the killer analysis mm. and the convincing that you need to do to yourself and your partner that this is actually a great idea. Yeah. And that we have considered the barriers and the risks associated with this particular product and the way it's going to make an impact on treatment of diseases. Pharma do do a commercial assessment. I mean, we, we'd, we'd be wrong if we thought they didn't and they just um, took the, the great idea internally. But they do it. The, the storytelling comes from the, the biotech to the pharma and the, 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 the BD people and the scouts. And, and it is science-driven. It has to be um, because it's we have a great new antibody for Alzheimer's or whatever it is. And it's a bad example because everybody knows the commercial case for that is, is, is uh, un undoubted. The science really does lead that if you can prove it. But, but in oncology or where you're, you've got a fourth, third, fourth generation TKR or something, and it's, it's differentiated, but not that differentiated. Um, so it's all about biomarkers and patient populations. And I don't think I ever hear the discussion certainly in, in that interaction between the pharma guys and the biotech guys saying, so what, what's the commercial model for this? Um, they might ask where it's positioned, but, and they, they might say, okay, we'll go away and we'll build a model and we'll do our valuation and we'll do our assessment. Um, and I need enough information to build a commercial case for this. I could put before the, the exec committee of my, my pharma, but it's them building it. And I think that there's, there's probably a, a healthier dialogue to be had between the biotech and the, the farmer, where they actually debate what they think the commercial endpoints are. Farmer are well equipped to do that because that's what they do. The biotech's less so, but I think it would make a much better dialogue if, if they equipped themselves with that knowledge. And it, it encompasses all the things you talked about, the clinical development plan, the pricing reimbursement, the rest of it, um, in order to be able to say in those discussions, well, I want to talk about the commercial endpoints of this, because then you'd all agree on the numbers anyway. And the numbers that people tend to build in their models are driven around technical success and regulatory success, which is, has to be. Uh, and the more detail you can put into those, the better models you have. And we build loads of them, and, and we've got guys who are very, very good at it. You said the word risk. It's the commercial risk. And that, that beat seems to be done by pharma alone with whatever biotech is able to give them. And I think it would be a healthier position if there were both parties actually had that discussion. Just my, my view. The, the point you're making is an important one because one of the reasons why we love companies to at least explore doing an, an ENPV, doing a valuation model, is because the inputs, you have to provide the pathway, the future. An NPV is forward-looking. This kind of cash flow is looking at forward-looking cash flows. And of course, all the factors that go in there have to consider certain assumptions like cost of goods, risk, and so forth, which we talk about. But, but don't forget, I mean, the value of an asset is in the future on the positive cash flows. In other words, what is the size of that market? What is the price of the drug in that market? What is the true epidemiology? Okay, this is market assessment, but the pricing of a drug, the preparation for whether the payers are prepared to pay for a, a certain price for a drug will make a huge difference to the perception of what the offering is. And if you haven't got that argument clear in your own head, and not just based on what we assume, uh, on an over-reliance on assumption, but I, I'd like to have our assumptions as grounded as much in fact and in real-world evidence which is a real driver for any serious conversation that two parties can have, rather than saying, well, in my experience, it's, about, it's more about, well, these are the facts. This is the research we've, the commercial research we've mm -hmm. done. 
this is the commercial assessment we've done. And we have come out with a de-risk plan to take this product to market. And these are, this is how we're going to do it. That, to me, is a much more convincing argument by just then rather than just focusing all the time on the, on the next clinical experiment or the next clinical program. You're listening to the Pharma Ventures podcast with me, Adrian Dorks, and Fintan Walter, founder and CEO of Pharma Ventures, where we're discussing all the things we've learned over decades of deal making. You know, I think I'm, I'm going to start asking some of the pharma contacts I have and, and say, look, if we if we turned up with not just a teaser and say, look at the great thing that, that our client has got, but we turn up with that and say, oh, and by the way, we've got a full commercial assessment on this. We know exactly the value of it and, and what can be delivered in the right hands. And what we're asking of you is, are, are you the right hands to, to, to deliver that? You're still going to do your assessments. You, you should. And, and, you know, that's the right thing to do. And you may arrive at a different answer. But does that make a more compelling case than somebody turning up with, you know, there's different degrees of this. We see some people turn up with just the teaser and they've done the science and the science is great. And they have nothing about it beyond the point at which they're going to let go of it. Those that do know what's, what's going to happen in terms of the regulatory path, we're now seeing more uh, companies come back and VCs saying, what's the market access? What's the pricing position for this? Which is, uh, I think we've acknowledged is becoming increasingly important. And we're, we're now offering that and getting a lot of people interested in it. Mm. Um, and it never used to be before. So it seem, we seem to be heading in that direction. I, I think there's a, there's a case here for saying, actually, rather than wait for it to be demanded, biotechs would be smarter if they went out and did it gathered all the information, built the case. Don't just rely. It's not just, as we said, not just about 100% of science. It's balancing the two, getting mm. the answers. Don't forget, and we, we all should never forget, is that pharma, if you talk to a typical pharmaceutical company, they will say they've got somewhere between 1,000 1, and 2,000 opportunities on their desk mm. every year. They can't do that sort of assessment themselves. They would need, you know, literally hundreds of people all specializing in doing all the analysis that we're talking that the biotech company should be doing. So let the biotech company do the work on behalf of the pharma company. That will help the pharma company to do a proper assessment. But, I, but I'd also like to suggest is not just get this before you're going to go to the partner. If you actually do this before you go out and partner, right? Prepper, this is prepper, going back to the preparation, preparation. point. You know, preparation starts, as we all know, one year, two years, even maybe even five years in advance of doing a partnership. It's really looking at if the exit for the shareholders, if the exit for the, for the company is through a licensing deal or, a, or a, eventually an acquisition, the pathway to that event needs to be clearly understood. So this analysis that one does is not just to the benefit of a pharma company saying, oh, gosh, guys, you've done a fantastic job here, and we can see clearly, which is a benefit to mm -hmm. the pharma company against the thousands of other opportunities coming their way. You've got a clearer story, a more convincing story, and it's not just because it's a story, in, in, in like a, a fairy tale story. <laughs> this is a plan that's been well considered and thought through right from the very early days of taking a product into clinic. If you're going into the clinic, you're going to spend millions. Millions, tens of millions. What's the problem of doing a, a, a commercial analysis, including a market access study, mm -hmm. you know, against the backdrop of spending that sort of amount of money? It's like an insurance policy. You'd be crazy not to. You'd be crazy not to. It's so, it's so obvious. 
But sometimes it's all about, no, no, we need to get to this. We need to get into the lab. We need to get into the into the clinic because that's the important thing. Don't don't tell me about all the other stuff because mm. the next thing is really we must do this. But I would say, you know, for a tiny proportion, a small proportion of the cost of doing a clinical trial, a proper commercial assessment by, let's say, you know, obviously I would say Pharma Ventures. A well-known who, advisory firm. Well-known advisory firm but knows the thinking that goes on within amongst investors, amongst pharma companies when they're looking at opportunities. And a well-thought-through commercial assessment in the context of a clinical assessment means that the pathway is clear. It's a, it's a, a better argument. We have considered, we have dismissed this approach. We've taken the right, we, we, we are convinced by, by facts. Our, our clinical plan is driven by both clinical and commercial facts, mm -hmm. and a de-risking process. You highlighted the other community again there, the investors. And we, we are hearing um, soundings from, from investors. And again, it goes back to the pricing and, and market access thing. So they've looked at the clinicals, they've looked at, we know, will we get a deal out of this possibly? So there's some commercial assessment, but they're even now, after they've made an investment in something, and then when it comes to the next stage and they start thinking about market access and pricing reimbursement, they're thinking, we might not get a good price for this now. So does that mean there's enough value in it to warrant us continuing to invest in it and thinking about pulling out? Because the commercial assessment did, wasn't done, or a full commercial assessment wasn't done with all the right component parts at the beginning, arming with the knowledge. Absolutely. By the, by the way, when we're talking about pricing reimbursement and market access, it's not, these days, it's not your barrier, as we all know, is not the just the regulatory authorities. It's the payers. And payers look for additional clinical evidence that the regulatory authorities won't, won't be asking for. So your clinical development program, even right back at the very beginning of your phase one and phase two clinical trial, are you doing the right, you know, we talk about killer experiments. Are you doing the right clinical program that will generate data that will be used in an argument for price. And that's additional clinical data that if you just purely focus on the regulatory side, you're not doing the right clinical trial. You go, oops, we need to go back and get that data if we want to convince payers that this has an impact on, on the cost of therapy. And there's an inherent issue in the system, if you like, that, that's born out of the, just the way it works, that typically market access analysis and uh, health economics and Big pricing studies, and I said the word big there, are big, and they cost a fortune, and small biotechs can't afford them, so they don't do them. And we've seen that, and that's something that we think there's something that can be done that gives enough knowledge, and, and one of our colleagues here, Rafe, Rafe is his specialist area, addresses and enabling people to get enough knowledge to have sufficient commerciality around their asset as well as clinical and technical, so that you, you're just building a stronger case. You're, mm. you're, you're de-risking. It's... it's it's the technical, regulatory and technical success and commercial success, and you're, you're de-risking. It's a no-brainer. Why wouldn't you do it? That's an obvious thing to do. How, how, how more can I de-risk my asset by knowing more about it? We all know what investment is all about. Investment is about getting a return mm -hmm. on your investment. Mm -hmm. And how you invest that money, you know, the spread on how you invest, not just amongst different companies that you may invest in, but within around a single asset, how much investment are you going to put in to both the clinical and the commercial side of that. That's really what I, my, my key point. So you're going back to your original question, you know, 
what are the things that you know really impact us and 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 and, and see, we see as obstacles or, or or frustrations from our point of view that our mm. clients haven't really thought through and and it's it's that aspect that that mix of getting that investment having a clear investment plan that is coincides both with a clinical development program and a commercial consideration of that which addresses issues which in the end will mean that the investment is going to be optimal and has a greater chance of success if i was to sort of try and and uh, from my perspective capture it in in a in a couple of thoughts which is hard to do because we've talked about an awful lot here you have to be more holistic um, and go just beyond the technical regulatory etc and, and include the commercial but don't get so het up and focused about particular aspects of it because you'll end up ultimately arguing yourself out of not doing anything and not investing in anything and never bringing an idea to the table um so we we, we need to strike a balance between you know over analysis if you like or over over um determination uh, and finding too many reasons for saying no there still has to be risk in there there's you still got to have the entrepreneurial spirit and people going well I, you know I, i'm going to take a punt on this otherwise we'd never see any anything new and novel and game changer out there I, I guess is it a good example jim allison um checkpoint inhibitors 1970s that's what he started doing and people said ah, that'll never work jim um and he didn't believe when he kept going um and it turned into a huge commercial opportunity so there's a place for ignoring the naysayers but also actually equipping yourself with the right data at the right time and the right information to actually as, as, as we're saying de-risk to the max if you can and give yourself the best chance of technical clinical and commercial success when we just had a conversation just before we we went on this on the air we talked about and you actually raised it um adrian is this, this interplay between mm. the two this commercial element is also driving the science and the science drives the commercial it's there's a there's an interplay between the two which in the in the sense if that works perfectly we can get that rhyming perfectly then you are really de-risking the whole the whole approach okay so let's let's just sum up if we can in a, a couple of couple of points each if if you had to sum up what would be your couple of key points that you'd you'd want people to walk away from this with i suppose the key thing here really is uh if you're going to invest in a drug and take it through uh clinical development and into the into the commercial world you need to invest wisely and when you invest wisely you consider both the clinical program as well as the commercial context and the more you understand the commercial context the more you can get that clinical development program going in the right direction. So that might, would be my overriding uh, piece of advice. And it doesn't cost that much to get that right. And I think mine's linked to that. It, it's, it's actually back to where we started, which is um, when you get into this, do all the preparation. Don't just do your, your technical scientific preparation as well. Do the commercial preparation. Uh, understand where you're going. Be prepared to, to change your mind and modify, as you would if you were doing the science. Modify your commercials as well, but but get the knowledge that you 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 can to do that and enable it. Um, and ultimately, don't argue yourself out of doing <laughs> some great science. Please continue to do that. Oh, do do the great science, um, absolutely. And when we talk about the commercial context, it really is making sure that we hit the right arguments. In other words, what I'm trying to say is this, that an argument for any decision, whether you're taking a clinical development program forward or if you're going to do a deal around a particular product, is that you are introducing strong arguments and fact-based arguments for taking something through 
and that is based on both the science and the commercial side. So it's it's making sure that in part of your preparation is that you're not doing a big, you're not saying things like, well, our board believes this, and we've got people who who also believe the same thing. I would try to reduce the number of beliefs and introduce more of the facts. When we do a commercial assessment, it's fact-based. Agreed. Finton, thanks very much. Thank you. For more information on other Pharma Ventures podcasts, go to www.pharmaventures.com forward slash podcast, where you can also subscribe. Pharma Ventures, the deal experts.